It's you and a golf 2020 U.S. Open update from Wingfoot Golf Club with Real Golf Radio's Brian Taylor is brought to you by Mountain Supply. Get some guns and ammo and Black Desert Resort in St. George. Brian, good morning. Good morning, guys. Good to be back with you. Feels like it's been a long time since we've had major championship golf, even though we had a PGA recently. This just uh, feels like it's been too far and few between. Well, it's Wingfoot. It's the U.S. Open. It's underway. We're in the middle of it now. Is Wingfoot going to bring every PGA Tour golfer to their knees and make grown men cry? Well, that's how it's advertised, right? Um, I was pretty amped up. I got up at 4.30 this morning and started watching the, the, the coverage pregame and, and uh, the first tee shots at 5.30. And, um, you know, it's so far, uh, the players are managing it very well. I mean, you see instances where players get themselves out of position and, and they struggle and they're hacking it out and it, it makes them feel things like that. But for the most part, the players are managing it. The, go- the golf course is a little bit soft, I would say, um, maybe more so than what we would expect, more so than we'd certainly see in the heat of the summer in June and uh, cool temperatures and very little little wind and, and players are able to take advantage of it. So not sure if I'm more surprised that there's under par scores at all or that an amateur was all the way at four under par, uh, or that Tiger Woods is uh, suddenly on the march. I mean, there's a, sort of a lot of surprise stories that, to start out this championship. Yeah, uh, Try to put yourself in the mindset of these guys. You know, you had a Jordan Spieth who was three over, and then he gets three birdies, and all of a sudden he's obviously right back at even. And in terms of trying to keep an even temperament when you want it so bad, how difficult is that? Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, that's that's the big challenge of this game for on all levels, right? Uh, whether, you know, for those of us driving around right now and at work, or maybe we got a tea time later this afternoon or this weekend, you know, trying to trying to you know get, shoot that best score or trying to you know beat that your buddy. I mean, it, that's the mental. You know, the the game is is what it is. But sometimes there's just this mental challenge when things go badly and. And the U.S. Open, I mean, there's, there's some, been some exciting stuff and some good storylines, but this is just getting started. I mean, it is, uh, there, there's so much golf to be played between now and when they hand out a trophy. Uh, it, it, there's a, a million different scenarios, and, and it really is uh, a marathon of, of patience and resilience that, that's, that takes to, to win a U.S. Open. So, uh, yeah, I, I, look, I very much appreciated what Jordan Spieth did. He three-putted the first green. He loses a ball off the tee on the second. And then, you know, uh, makes a really nice par save on the third and then reels off three straight birdies. I mean, it's, that's, that's crazy, but that's, that's golf and good for him for hanging in there. So when you look at the, uh, the favorites in here, who is built for this course? Who's got the right game, the right temperament, and is, uh, is peaking and then you believe in? Yeah, I heard a little bit about your guys' picks. Uh, by the way, DJ, if I, had to, if I had to rank them, I think Bob and PK are probably tie one and near two on the picks, just saying. Um, but, uh, <laughs> which by the way, I, I want to know how, I didn't see the order, but how does, how does DJ not pick DJ? Did you not get the first pick? Bob got the first pick and took JT. Oh, okay. I think so the DJ was out there and you didn't take your initial sake. I did not take the initial sake. No, he's hmm. kind of PK's guy. PK was, oh, okay. PK's been picking him for like 20 years. He's picked okay. him to win about, uh, 80 majors. And uh, he's just his guy. He believes in him, you know? And I do think that there's two guys I was going to ask you about specifically this. One is DJ, and the other is Colin Morikawa. Yeah. So we've seen young guys in their 20s 
uh, burst on the scene, win two or three much more quickly than golf history says if you win two or three. And then they don't they don't win again, right? Uh, McElroy and Spieth are probably the best examples, but you can probably come up with a couple other guys who kind of sort of fit in this category. And then yeah, there's guys no, like DJ no. who are really hot, but man, when you've been really hot, it's like it's like golf karma doesn't allow you to continue to stay that hot. So, do you like either of those guys? Yeah, oh, I like both of them. I think both of them are great picks for this week. You know, great ball strikers. Um, you know, DJ, you'd say, well. You know, he, he couldn't hit very many fairways at Eastlake, but he didn't, he didn't have to. He, he was able to manage it. He scrambled at Eastlake tremendously. Some of the bunker shots he hit at Eastlake were, were you know, world-class. Obviously, he's, he's number one in the world. But, uh, and so you look at a guy that's got that much strength and power, you know, he can dial it back, and I think Tony's the same way. Those guys don't have to hit driver. Great example, off the first tee, Justin Thomas hits three-wood. Tiger hits driver. And, it, and, and JT out drove him with his three-wood. I mean, that's a little father time there, but still it was, it was odd to see. But those guys with the length, they can, they can dial it back a little bit and, and take some, some straighter clubs out. out uh, and DJ can do that. Morikawa can do that. I'll say, obviously we haven't seen DJ play yet. Colin's been out of position a lot more than I expected him to be. Um, this is, you know, it's an interesting thing, going back to PK's uh, comment about, you know, the mental challenge. Here comes Morikawa. He had won a couple of times, and then he bursts through and hits the crazy shots down the stretch and, and grabs the PGA Championship. This is the first time he's playing in a major as a major champion. And so on the one hand, you take some swagger into it. So, you know, hey, I, I did this. I'm part of the club. And on the other hand, you sort of feel like you have to back it up a little bit. So um, it, that, that's kind of the battle that Morikawa is going to have to go through. And should he jump out and win too early? Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's shades of Spieth, what we saw in, you know, early in his career. And, and we hope that Spieth will be able to get that back. He's got a lot of talent. He's fun to watch. And, and it's been six years since Rory's won. So to your point there. Um, so, uh, but, but Dustin Johnson's a complete different story. That guy's a plotter. He's won every year that he's been on tour. Sometimes he feels like he's completely out, uh, gone off the tour. I mean, it was two months ago he shot 80, 80, 78 withdraw. And then he comes back and he's just been on an absolute terror, lapping the field at 30 under and winning a couple of tournaments in the FedEx Cup and number one in the world and the favorite this week. So uh, re- really pretty two different stories, but um, both tremendous talent and both with the ability to win this week. So how far back do you think you can afford to be after day one and still be in contention? I'm telling you right now, if I, if I had to sit in the clubhouse and put my feet up and wait right now, I think I'd feel pretty comfortable at two or three over par. So I, I think as long as you keep it within, you know, after today, as long as you don't shoot, shoot something crazy, but I think you shoot 75, you know, um, 75, 76, you know, you have a bad day and you can turn it around and, and shoot a couple of 69, 68, 70s coming in. I think you're right there. Um, so, uh, this is completely different. I don't, I don't really don't think anyone's going to run away. I mean, seeing four under early is like, wow, but we see that oftentimes in majors and, it, and it's oftentimes by someone we don't know anything about. And, and then it all starts to kind of, you know, come back down and, and, and there's pressure and there's all kinds of things, the scenarios that, that unfold over the next uh, three rounds. But, um, yeah, I, I think as long as you don't completely, you know, shoot an 80 or something and put yourself completely out of it, 74, five, six is probably still okay 
So you were surprised that I didn't take DJ. Bob had the first pick and didn't take him either. He took Justin Thomas, and Justin Thomas, three under through ten. What is it about Justin Thomas's game and Justin Thomas's game matching this course and these conditions? Obviously, Bob is thinking, I'm brilliant. I saw something, and I'm right. What is it? Yeah, yeah. you're always looking good uh, when they play well at the beginning. I, Justin Thomas is just a great pick coming in. Um, I, I think Xander Schauffele is a great pick coming in. Those are, If I had to narrow it down to two, those are my two probably top ones. Because, and just statistically speaking, um, you know, Justin Thomas, uh, from a stats standpoint, I think he leads the tour this year in strokes gained tee to green. Uh, he, he's just he's, he's solid, and I think that's a big stat. Um, I was going to pull – pull him up real quick scoring average he's he's right up there um yeah driving not not driving actually yeah t to the strokes gain total he's right in there i got the wrong year pulling up but uh, on my on my computer here but when i was doing my homework justin thomas checked all the box statistically he, he's putting well he scrambles well and he's awesome off the tee so just a straight got tons of power and he's playing well right now so justin thomas checks all the boxes i i, I like I like his chances. And Xander Schauffele is just a, kind of that grinder. I mean, look what he did at Eastlake, which is a really difficult golf course. He beat, uh, you know, Dustin Johnson by three shots, but, you know, he, he had those, those strokes lead, and so he ended up not winning the tournament. But I think that's a guy that, you know, felt like he won a tournament, didn't get credit for it, and is in form to, to win another one this week. And just a great driver of the golf ball, good putter. And so th- those are two guys that I think they're just, just kind of gritty grinders that are – you know, pretty straight off the tee. That, that, that's the kind of guys you got to look at. So I want to talk to you about the, not the young dude like a Morikawa, the guy who has been on the tour for a good while. You know, Mickelson was an example. Dustin Johnson. I think now well, you see where I'm going here. You put you can put Rom in the category. So guys who've had success, they've been out on the tour for a few years now, and they've had a fair amount of success, whether being in contention or actually winning. Rom being a classic example. And I want to know from you how difficult do you think it is then to take that next step and try to win the major because you've had success, you've been on the tour. Everybody knows who you are, but you still don't have that major yet. Yeah, I mean that's that's the next step. And and how is it that it comes so easily for some that we just talked about earlier? And how is it that some are so great but just can't quite break through and win a major championship? You know, um, it's. I, I mean, you, you talk about John Rahm specifically. Uh, I, I think John Rahm is. You know, he's been number one in the world a couple of times this year. As it's sort of teeter-tottered back and forth between him and DJ and this sort of a carousel with Justin Thomas in there. But, you know, uh, Rory McIlroy's been in there. But John Rahm has all the tools. Here's the thing that I think is interesting with Rahm, and I think we saw it with Mickelson. Mickelson was the most, in the 20 years that I've been doing this show, Mickelson was the biggest, you know, hasn't won a major in counting. I think what he get up to 40-something or, or whatever he was at before he finally broke through at the Masters in 04. But there's a guy that had won double-digit tournaments and, and hadn't won a major and was, you know, one of the top players in the world. And I remember sitting with Billy Casper at the Masters, and Phil Mickelson was on 16, and we're watching it on TV, and, uh, and, and Phil hits it back right. He goes for a back right pin and misses it in the bunker back there and short sides himself. And Billy's just shaking his head, and he said, until Phil, until Phil learns how to – you know, not go at everything, not be so aggressive. He's not going to win a major championship. 
And, uh, and I think that was a process that Phil had to go through, and he eventually figured it out. He's won three green jackets. So I think John Rahm, you know, seeing him at the Players' Championship and the way he imploded a couple of years ago, the way his temper runs really hot, I think that's, that's part of the process. I'm not sure that John Rahm is, is, you know, the guy that you'd pick to win a U.S. Open at, at a wing foot where it's going to cause a lot of frustration and havoc. I think he's a guy that you might – you know, look at that, you know, maybe wins an, an open championship that's a little more wide open and he can use his creativity and, you know, the, the kind of all a Seve by Asteros and maybe even at Augusta. But uh, I think John Rahm's got to learn to control his emotions and just let his game take over. And, and, and he's definitely capable and talented enough to win a major championship. I don't know if that answers your question, but it's a process. And, and you've seen players go through it. And when they do, I think that becomes some of the best stories in the game as opposed to the surprise guys that break out early. Hey, are there any birdie opportunities down the stretch? So for the people listening to this who are watching on Sunday, is it going to be just a case of don't make mistakes, let the other guys make bogey and you win the tournament? Or are there actually is there actually an opportunity or two to pick up a birdie coming home? Um, you know, the, the, the members say that the easiest uh, spots on the golf course are 11, uh, are, are 6 through 11. So... Um, you know, that, that would tell you that, that the hardest stretch is 12 through five. If you're playing, you know, if you're, if you're continuing that cycle. So, uh, can you make birdies? Yeah. We just, saw we just saw Rory McIlroy make birdie at 18. Uh, he rolled in a nice about 20 footer for birdie that was curling. So there are birdies to be had out there. Um, going back to 06, Jeff Ogilvy chipped in for par on 17. Uh, so it's, you can chase it down, but more often than not at Wingfoot, we've seen guys do, that are just trying to hang on. And, and sometimes it doesn't have to be a birdie to make a move coming down the stretch here at Wingfoot. It might be making pars down the stretch while other people are coming back to you. So um, there's ground to be made up. It might not be through birdies, but as we've seen already this morning, uh, you know, Rory with a nice birdie on, on, on 18. So it can happen. They're, they're out there, but it's, it takes really precision shots to be able to, I don't, I mean, have you seen some of these plays, some, some of the putts that the players happen to actually hit it past the hole and hope it comes back in order to get it close enough three putts. So there's a, there's a, a high level of defense style golf that is played at Wingfoot as opposed to offensive golf. And, and you have to really pick your spots or you'll, you'll get burned. Offensive golf. I like it. It's a new term. PK file that one away. <laughs> Defensive. Well, golf I know I, and I play offensive golf. Offensive or offensive? I play offensive. Okay, there you go. I like it. <laughs> but you wear a golf shirt when you play, though. I was teasing Gordon about yesterday. You know, you don't show up in a t-shirt, though, right? No, of course not. We'll leave it right there. One cheap shot on Gordon for the road. <laughs> nice work, Brian. All right, Brian. Hey, thanks. Uh, enjoy the tournament. All right. You too. Thanks for having me. All right. There is Brian Taylor talking U.S. Open golf right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Everything you missed in this show, we'll wrap it all up next. Stay with us. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. 
we're not focused on the Clippers, and we never really were. You know, it's it's all about who's in front of you. Uh, when you focus on other teams instead of you know taking care of your food, I mean happens like that so you know for us we've always focused on us and then focused on Portland focused on Houston and control what we, we can control as a team now our focus is on Denver Kyle Kuzma the Lakers Denver game one Friday night can the Nuggets do it again you know PK we see upsets in the NBA playoffs I would guess about Two-thirds of the series are won by the favorite who's got the home court advantage, and about a third of the time there's an upset. But teams in normal times, and obviously this is in the bubble with no home court, in normal times it's very rare to see a team win back-to-back series as a lower seed. It happens, but it's really pretty rare. What If you had to assign a number to it, out of 100%, is it like 70-30 Lakers, 90-10 Lakers? Oh, I'm definitely not 90-10, no. I'm probably 75-25. We're in the same ballpark then. I'm not disrespecting the Nuggets again. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm at 70-30 I'm at myself, so we're in the same ballpark. Uh, game two tonight, Miami Heat and Boston Celtics, 5 o'clock on ESPN. And then tomorrow night, the Western Conference Finals will get going with game one. 2020 All-NBA teams are announced. LeBron James, an NBA record with his 16th appearance on the first team in 17 years. He'd been tied with Tim Duncan, Kobe Bryant, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, Rudy Gobert to the third team. Uh, did you care about any of this? Any of this motivate you? Some of, some of the guys you like were lower. Jimmy Butler was a third-teamer. Well, it's regular season. Uh, and guys, regular season, just take, you know, they don't, some of them literally do take time off. But I just don't think that they play the level that they do at the postseason. Postseason, it's where it's at. Of, of all the leagues, I think uh, NBA, the postseason in terms of rep, matters the most you look at baseball and we've recognized trout as the best player for a while now done nothing in the postseason right and football i think is the ultimate team game you have to have success particularly at the quarterback spot but i don't know that barry sanders had a whole lot of success in the postseason but yeah we recognize him as one of the greatest running backs of all time right Uh, so basketball in order to be one of the whatever of all time you must back it up in the postseason. It's the basically. It's not like the uh, regular season is meaningless by any stretch, but it does pale in comparison to the postseason. So there's a little bit of basketball for you. The football news: the Big Ten is going to play. And there was a bunch of positive news out of the Pac-12, everything except the announcement of A, we're playing, and B, we're playing on this day. But the governors of California and Oregon don't look like they're standing in the way. It looks like the county health uh, officials are going to let all these teams play. Everything's lining up. When should we expect the announcement? About the literal games? Yeah. Uh, I would say within the next week, if not sooner. We're already at Thursday here. So I don't know that, that we're going to have it today or tomorrow, which obviously puts us into next week. Uh, but, yeah, they've got to get going. And I, I think the first thing you need to do is come up with practice uh, 
practice schedules, basically, and whatever the uh, regimens are, I think that's what you need to do. That's very, very important to, to set it up to how you will go proceed going forward. And you can you can schedule the games, particularly when they're not they're no non conference games, right? That's that's not that big of a deal, really, when you think about it. Uh, to me, it's what are you going to do leading up to it? What's going to be allowed? That's what you got to get going here and set them up in the most. And that and I don't disregard safety by any stretch. I've been from back in July. I've been on the record of saying try to play. But I have also not thrown caution to the wind. Oh, this thing is so overrated. Forget it. Go live your life. This is no worse than the flu or this or that. No, I don't know. Don't know what it is, how it compares. I'm not a medical professional by any degree. So I do account for the safety stuff, and I practice all that stuff every single day. And so whatever is the best going forward for the young man and their physical conditioning and the safety, that's where you have to be. Well, they're going to be testing players, and it sounds like they're going to be able to test them every day. So I think the safety is really high at that point. Of course. That's, yes. uh, that, that makes them much safer than the average student walking around the campus. Um, you know, if you're, if you're tested before you walk into the football building every day and before a game, and they know in 15 minutes, and they immediately are able to separate out somebody who's positive and asymptomatic and has no idea they have it, you know, that, that's best-case scenario. Uh, to me, the follow-up question becomes, okay, how do we start doing that for bigger sections of the population? Yes, for, for the youngsters, for the, the college-age player, and college-age student for that matter, what's the percentage of the people who have it, so they're 100% of the people who have tested positive, right? Whatever that number is, mm-hmm. cumulatively, it's 100% of the folks who've tested positive. Of those folks, and I'm talking, I'm talking young people, of those folks, how many of them, what's the percent, have zero symptoms? I don't know, but I think it's pretty high. Is it? I, I, I don't I, know. I, I really, I really no I, and I don't know. I couldn't give you a number. This is where, Yak, you're well, still knocking on the door, right? We're still trying to get. Yeah, we still are. But I think the biggest thing is Kalani's comments the other day is saying that most of their positive tests were asymptomatic. They had yeah. no idea they were sick. So I think right. it's a right. rather high number. Yeah, I think it is too. Uh, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know that. Which is great for the person who has it, but it makes it more dangerous that they can then spread it to a big group of people, and eventually, uh, you know, it gets to somebody who's at risk, and you know, that's a big problem for them. Whether right, because that's a scary situation if yeah. you have something and you don't know you have it, and you're right. contagious, but you have no idea that you know it. But that, to me, is why the you know <laughs> when when you look at it that way. And I know nobody wants to compliment Larry Scott because it's a lot more fun to make fun of him and demand that he should be fired. But in this one instance, setting aside the DirecTV deal and whatever else you don't like, but in this one instance when he says it's a game changer, I think that's what he was getting at. Like now we're going to know exactly who's sick. We're not going to expose other students. We're going to get the players or the staff or the coaches, whoever it is, uh, because it's not just about the players, right? I mean, we know there's trainers involved, and you've got to have equipment people involved, and you've got coaches involved. And um, 
all the media people who've been in the football center know this. You know, they're they're feeding the players there, which is safer. But there's a whole cook staff in there, and you know, we would come when we would go to press conferences. We'd go up this elevator and walk down this hallway, and you would go right, and you'd look right into the kitchen as you went by. You know, and so all the people around the players, everybody's got to be tested, um, but. You're not so worried about spreading it when you're identifying these people as soon as possible, whoever they are, and getting them quarantined. So I think it's way safer, and I think the people who are going nuts about the safety at this point are missing a key point. I mean, they are just blind to a key point that logically seems like a really big deal, which is why Larry, Co- Larry Scott called it a game changer. And I guess the thing is, then, why did the Pac-12 say January 1? They don't know when the game is going to change. Do they just go a month at a time? I mean, maybe, and maybe it's the feedback they got from the coaches, because we had Beth Lanier on, and she said at the time, it's good to know because this constant kicking the can down the road is really stressful. And so maybe they were driven by that partly. But clearly, when you set a date out there and then you backtrack, you're looking like you're flip-flopping, and that doesn't impress anybody. You know, you're going to take heat for that. And that's what the uh, Big Ten and the Pac-12 are hearing about now. Okay, fine. Take heat. Great. Whatever. But the, the heat will go away. It'll turn cold soon at some point. So now we wait to hear when the Big 12, is, or the Big 12, the Pac-12 is going, uh, because uh, we all expect that it is. And you have heard that from people who are more in the loop than us. Oh, yeah, I'm not in the loop. I'm not at all. I mean, I'm not in the actual discussions. I'll hear some stuff after, but I'm not sitting down there discussing, well, what are we going to do? Football tonight, Bengals and Browns. It's Joe Burrow, the number one pick in the draft in 2020. Baker Mayfield, the number one pick in the draft in 2018. And one other fun fact about this, today is the 100th birthday of the NFL. It was founded in Ohio, so that's why they're having the battle for Ohio. It all comes oh, cool. together. Yeah. Was, in, was it in Canton, right? It was At in an Canton. auto dealership? Auto dealership showroom. And the Hall of Fame is now in Canton? And- Correct. If you're in Cleveland, it's an hour down the freeway. It's only a little more than an hour from Columbus, too. So it sounds like I it's can watch this game easily, man. There's enough going on that I can watch it. I want to see Joe Burrow. And Baker Mayfield, man. A lot of hype. Is he just like a better Johnny Manziel? I mean, he seemed like a lot that of hype. That is actually this dude. an excellent comparison. He's uh, there's a little bit of circus around him, not Manziel level circus, because that was that right. was that was three rings, bright lights. I mean, that was that was crazy. Uh, but there's still a little bit, you know. It, it's just and all the hype for the Browns. I mean, deep down, does anybody think they're really any good? Aren't we kind of in Minnesota Timberwolves, New York Knicks territory right here? The Browns are speaking of? Yeah. I'm not Maybe sure that I ever really bit. thought about it. Yeah. I've thought about them being good, I mean. I've definitely seen it written about and talked about. And and maybe it's because they have high draft picks and, you know, you get Odell Beckham Jr. And he's, you know, that that's a tie to New York. And that'll get a lot drama, of people riled man. up. Too much drama around his team. And, and also, and you, got, you got Mayfield. You got, uh, you just mentioned Beckham and Who's the guy? Garrett? Wasn't he the dude against Pittsburgh last year? Uh, Yeah, I think you're right. And there are two teams in that division, two clubs, two organizations that seem to really have their act together. I mean, the Ravens have been through multiple quarterbacks and stayed good. 
the Steelers have been uh, really the model organization for stability in the NFL. I mean, they've just, you know, through the decades they've done it. And so you got those two who really seem to know what they're doing. I mean, they have an occasional down season for one reason or another, but they don't, they don't stay down. And they're usually in 10-win territory, if not better. And then you got the Bengals and Browns who just, it just seems like they just can't get it right. They can't get out of their own way, and it's a major accomplishment for them to get to eight and eight. Now, the Andy Dalton years, the Bengals had yeah, a little bit say, of a run. They had a bit of a run. The Bengals in the Browns category, they, they were in a postseason. They couldn't the, get it done, but at least they got there. Right, and the Browns are probably really uh, the Lions. Uh, you know, I mean, you were mentioning. I don't know if it was in this segment or the last one, but you were talking. They they just don't. They won one playoff game since 1957. I mean, one. And the Browns, since they've been so reincarnated, low. they've been just awful. Yeah, they've been awful since they've been reincarnated. And and the Andy Dalton era team, they they did get to division titles, and they seemed to get knocked out instantly. But at least they were there, and they were above five hundred. So, who was their coach? Marvin Lewis. Marvin, Marvin Lewis. Lewis. That's why he lost. Now his the co-defensive coordinator for the Sun Devils. Yes, the other ASU. <laughs> the other ASU. Arkansas State is just getting all kinds of run. They're just turning into this headliner. I don't know. No, I think the other ASU is Alabama State. <laughs> Alabama State. Do a sequel to Coach and have it be Alaska State. There you go. All right, and we've been talking U.S. Open this morning. It is underway. Uh, there, was a, uh, there was a massive search in here. We do not, on this service here, we do not have the Golf Channel, PK. There's been... Sucks to be you. A massive search done. So what have you got for us? Give us an update. We've talked a little golf this morning to keep people up to speed on the second major championship of the year. Yeah, I've been watching this thing. Uh, Justin Thomas is now minus four, man. First pick, first round. Bob Casper right out of the gate. JT sprinted right to him. He's backing him up. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a very, very good pick. See if he can sustain it. Well, of but course. a great start. This is he's minus four and he is on thirteen right now with about a four footer for par. And he's taking it back. He's hitting. And he makes it. He makes it the right side of the cup. Thank Even you, Jim Nance. No one can hear me, but uh, you know, I thought I would go in the in the in the voices that we can hear. So, yeah, who knows if he's going to be standing there Sunday, but obviously it wouldn't surprise you, particularly it doesn't surprise Casper or us because he was going to go in the first round, yep. first round being three picks. One of us was going was to take gonna him. Was going to take him, yeah. And it, I was going to take whoever you didn't take. I was assuming you would go with Rom or Dustin Johnson. I thought you would have gone Dustin Johnson, and I was prepared to take Rom. So We really was, all had the top three. It was just what order were the first three picks going to go in. Yeah. Well, and right to, now, and to that, and when he picked Xander Shoffley, that was my next pick. I was, I was highly irritated by that. Oh, I don't have any allegiances to any of these guys. But uh, to me, Dustin Johnson, you, you, with we had on Brian Taylor, and you were making fun. But I had picked Dustin for a number of majors. Oh yeah. I thought just too much talent. He's yep. gonna get it done. Well, now Rom is in that category. You do. To me, he's yeah. replaced Dustin as he's going to get it done. I don't know when, 
but it's going to happen. Yeah, and I just wonder with DJ, though, and I guess it'll kind of play out here, and then the Masters coming up, too, is he in Phil Mickelson territory where you get one and you really figure stuff out. He's been really good over the last couple of months. So, I mean, Phil went from the guy who couldn't win the majors, like like uh, like Brian said, he's like 0 for 39 or whatever it was. And uh, all of a sudden he's got one, he's got two, he's got, he's got five. <laughs> he's like, five's a great number for a career. That's that's a great number. And to think he was a guy who couldn't get it done early on. So Well, I think that this is projecting it a little bit. When Dustin Johnson is 40, he's got at least four. That's my prediction. Huh? 40. Four at 40, or 40 with four. That's not a bad number. Sitting right here, that's very logical. That makes a lot of sense to me, and certainly anybody who's watched him golf the last couple of months. All right, DJ and PK, it's brought to you in part by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram in Sandy. Find your deals online at lhmdeals.com. Feedback of the day is brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or com. Will the Pac-12 join the Big Ten and play football? 39% of you are thinking, yep, it's coming. 34% of you still think, no Pac-12 football. 27%, who knows? John says the California schools will ruin this. No, they won't. I was going to say, Newsom seemed to open the door for him yesterday. Yeah. Uh, guys, I mean, nothing against Newsom. But if there was ever a time we needed Regan as the governor of California now. <laughs> Regan as the governor of California. How many years are you going back? Irregardless. And they were prosperous times, let me tell you. I remember them very, very well. What were they? 50 years ago. Right. Oh, yeah. I had in my front yard in Palos Verdes Estates. Vote for Regan. Daniel says uh, they have a lot of wildfires that would make uh, currently holding games difficult. Who knows how that will be in a few months' time? In a few months? Yeah, in a month's time, but even in a month. Well, I'm, I'm assuming a month they got it under control, but certainly in a few months, with the stake and a burn down. You'd think those fires would burn themselves out at some point. Yeah. Better to burn out than to fade away. And Ryan Hancock, the former Cougar quarterback. Imagine sure. claiming safety is your motivation. What a pile, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> former, former Cougar quarterback. You overlooked the fact. Former Major League Baseball <laughs> I was going to say, uh, there's something else he did in his career there. Yeah. <laughs> former big league pitcher. But former, you know. former B, unless it was a stinger then. I don't what know. would you rather be? Would you rather be an MLB pitcher or a BYU quarterback? You're Ty Detmer, BYU quarterback, probably, with the hardware. Yeah, I mean, that wouldn't illustrious career he had at college, right? I mean, just, wow. And then, what, 13, 14 years in the NFL? Yeah, he did. Well, Ryan, and play. Ryan was the starting quarterback for a year. Um, mm-hmm. Not quite a year, because the first couple games it was other guys, and he was third string, and, and, he and then injuries, and he got it. And then he had a really good year, and he played the majority of the year. And then he got hurt in the Utah game. And he played ACL. several pitch several years in the big leagues. How many years? I'm not sure. I want to say six or seven. Oh, really? Wow, I was going to guess four or five, but yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, guy's got some talent. Yep, 
And now he's back here checking out DJ and PK on social media. Oh, he, he's he, lived in the community for a number of years. Yeah. He, he listens yeah. quite regularly. Yeah. Well, we should have him on. Reach out, Yak. Well, I've, I talk to him quite often. We, we got a World that. Series coming up. We got to get him to weigh in. All right, Ryan, I'll be and calling it, it overlaps with Cougar football. It's perfect. He can talk both. What's gonna ta- What's it going to take for the Angels to get good? Because that's the team I remember him pitching for. I don't know if he pitched for other teams. Yeah, that's what I remember him specifically with the Angels. He came up and through their organization and came through Salt Lake, didn't he? They haven't been good for a good long while, man. Jeez. Well, better pitching. Okay, well, then what's it going to take to get better pitching? Better pitching, pitching right? <laughs> well, when you put it like that. Uh, one, they, they had a good run in the last, the, the previous decade, but this last decade, the, uh, the teens, one, one playoff appearance. Um, I know. Before that, they were in sucks. nonstop. I know, yeah. And I, you know, we follow them because of the affiliation, for sure. At least I do, anyway. Plus, that's the uh, easiest game to get to when you're vacationing down to Disneyland or Newport Beach. Yak starts laughing. Almost definitely, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah, so one, one playoff appearance in the last decade and six in the decade before that, complete with the 2002 World Series. Right, and they're 20 so. and 30 right now with what? 10 games to go. What happened? Yeah, I'll talk really to him about that. Suck. All right, we still have people weighing in on the Jazz and the uh, going back and forth on the Jazz choked and how bad and how does it compare to the Clippers. Uh, It's a a big back and forth. Enrique says the Jazz were never revered as the top team to beat, unlike the Clippers. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, and particularly with Bogey out. Yeah, one, expectations, and then two, how competitive the games were or weren't down the stretch. Now, the Clippers having double-digit leads in all three of the games they lost and just getting blown off the floor in Game 7. And the, yeah, the man, second that half was, awful. was so lopsided. And, then, and the thing I love about the Jazz, if you're going to lose, they lost in the best way possible. Being down in the deciding game and then come roaring back and then literally have a shot go halfway down and lose. At least that's some spirit and some fire right there. Not like the Clippers roll over and play dead. All right, DJ and PK, Remember, we're late, out of here. Late over. Late over. That's late right, over. late over. Yeah, late, late over. over. <laughs> <laughs> Hans and Scotty are coming up next. They're going to draw a winner. Stay with us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.